Broadcasting live to the world now, it's Sheila Zelensky. This is a very sinister Luciferian eugenics plan. These spineless weasels preach what people want to hear. They replace repentance with dreams of the good life. Mindless minions. Dying daily, taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelensky. Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, end time watchwoman, Sheila Zelensky. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this July 24th, Friday edition of the Sheila Zelensky Show. Thank you for tuning into the broadcast tonight, folks. I broadcast weekdays, 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on Worldwide Christian Radio. Folks, please remember that my book is populating on Amazon, so it should be there today, or they say Monday, Tuesday at the latest. And so for now, you can still get the pre-orders, and I think it's a bit cheaper, so if you go to greengospel.ca, please do pick up a copy of my book. This information is incredibly timely, And I think it has the hand of God on it. And I want to get it in people's hands. I really want to get the information to people. I've got four signed autograph copies. You cannot get them signed, but I have four autograph signed copies for my listeners. So here's how you can win a signed copy of my book. I'm asking people to send an email requesting me on the Alex Jones show. The exposure on the Alex Jones show I think is really important and so if you request me on his show I'm going to draw four names and I'm going to announce them on the show on Wednesday of next week. That's Wednesday of next week. I'm going to have a video of me picking the names out of a hat so I will pick the four names out of the hat and you will get a signed copy. So this is what you've got to do to get yourself a signed copy. You simply go to tips, T-I-P-S, at Infowars.com, and all you got to say is, Alex, please have on Sheila Zelinsky, author of Green Gospel, and it probably doesn't hurt to throw in greengospel.ca. Again, tips at Infowars.com, T-I-P-S at I-N-F-O-W-A-R-S dot com. Tips at Infowars.com. Forward me a copy of the email that you send to Alex and you will be thrown into the hat. And again, I'm going to have this videotaped and I will upload the show to YouTube on Wednesday. 
and I'll also play it on the air as well. So I look forward to you winning a personally autographed signed copy. That means it's signed to you with a personal message signed by myself to you with your name on it. So this is rare because you cannot order signed copies through Amazon. So it just takes a few minutes to fire off an email. Very easy. Tips at Infowars.com and simply forward me the email and your name gets entered into the draw. And again, I'll pick them out of a hat and I'll have that on YouTube and again, I'll make the announcement next Wednesday. So you have till next Tuesday to get your names in on this draw. And if you have any questions, you can email me at Sheila at WeekendVigilante.com. And I hope Alex does have me on. I'm very excited about my show today. You all know my next guest. He is my favorite pastor. And he is the renowned pastor David Langford from the Voice of Evangelism. That's the Voice of Evangelism.com. And it's such a pleasure to have him back on the program. Pastor David Langford, welcome to the program, sir. It is such a pleasure to have you back on. Sheila, it's always a joy to be with you and to share the purity of God's holy word that edifies the body and glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we do what we do, because it honors him and not man when we speak the oracles of God. Absolutely. Well, you know, Pastor, one of the things I'm getting emailed about this hellish Planned Parenthood nightmare, and so we see the videos, the top brass, they're auctioning off these, it's, it's almost hard to talk about these body parts to the highest bidder. I talk about Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, who was into this forced sterilization and eugenics. She was a Satanist. I talk about it in my book, Green Gospel. I talk about the Gates Foundation giving Planned Parenthood of America abortion business almost $20 million since 2001, including funds to persuade teenagers to support abortion and lobbying the United Nations to advance pro-abortion proposal. I mean, the list goes on. The United Nations is like Satan central. I talk about that in my book too. Pastor, we have absolute sick, evil, twisted Satanists at the helm. You know, some of which are just finishing up at good old Bohemian Grove, worshiping their big 40-foot owl or Moloch, the ancient Ammonite god, as I call it. It's so evil, Pastor, isn't it? Well, the fact is, man is a beast without God. If you look at all the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, every government is described as a beast. And, of course, who runs government? Men do. Institutions, men run them. So man without God is a beast. He is the savagery. When Paul in 2 Timothy 3 said, This know also, but in the last days, Perilous or dangerous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, and confident, fierce. If you look at the word fierce in the Greek, it means savages. That's exactly what these women are in these videos that we witnessed. They are savages. That is savagery. It's so barbarous, it begs description. Yes. And that's because the nature of Satan is beastly. And he's described in Genesis as a serpent. He grows till we get to the book of Revelation, and he's called that old dragon. Because he has consumed. He's predatorial. He kills. 
He steals, he destroys, and what we have witnessed, what you put in your book, God is bringing to light how wicked, how vile, how without natural affection. Now, what's so astounding about this, these are women, and I dare say the president of Planned Parenthood is a woman. These two physicians were women. I would dare say they've had children. I wouldn't be afraid to say they've, they've mothered children. Sure. And yet, they have such a loss of natural affection for a child, it begs description. This is where apostasy and demonic spirits enter into people, and of course they see nothing wrong in what they're doing because it's just a fetal tissue, so there's nothing there. Uh, but you know, Jeremiah 1 and 5 he said, before I formed you in your mother's belly, I knew you. Conception does not begin in a mother's womb. Conception begins in the mind of God. You, myself, every person, God knew us before we were conceived in our mother's womb. He already has a plan, a destiny for all of us. And look at all the people. I wonder how many godly missionaries, preachers, whoever they may have been, have been murdered by Satan through abortion. It's unbelievable. Well, and it's amazing how these sickos are obsessed with the blood, too. And, you know, now we're being told that these fetus, uh, there's presence of it in our food supply. And, you know, and as I was watching these videos, as these vile women, just absolute disgusting women, they're sipping their wine and eating their overpriced salads. And I was actually sick to my stomach. You know, they were eating their salads like they were discussing the weather. There's former witches that I had a witch on my show years ago, and she revealed how they do these blood sacrifices. And if they can get their hand on, a, you know, this aborted tissue, oh, it's just like that is manna from heaven to these sickos. And, you know, other ungodly witchcraft rituals they do with these fetuses, it's just unthinkable. And, you know, now speaking of sitting around the table just unscathed you pastor langford had a vision with doctors they were eating at a table and tell the listeners about this vision that god gave you it was an open vision i was just sitting in my office and i just saw physicians medical doctors sitting at a restaurant at a table and they were buttering their bread and i saw blood all over their hands running down their forearms and dripping off their elbows and the Lord said, these men, these women, they think they're innocent, and they, they don't see the blood on their hands because they've used gloves or washed their hands, so when they go to the restaurant, they don't think it's there. He said, but I see all of that blood when they sit there so nonchalantly eating with all of this blood upon their hands. Now, and that was the extent of the vision. Uh, and, I, and my wife, when I told her, she said, that's bizarre. You know, how in the world would you put abortion and eating, what's the deal here? Well, we all know when the story broke a couple of weeks ago with the first lady physician, my wife looked at me and she said, my God, God just put on, let us see on videotape what you saw three and a half years ago in a vision. And here's the key, Leviticus 17:11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. I can put motor oil in your veins, water in your veins, anything in your veins, it does not have life. The life is in the blood. The life of the flesh, Moses said, is in the blood. And I've given it to you upon the altar. Uh, if you and I have the same blood type, you can give me life. 
because your blood matches my blood or vice versa. So this is why Satan is into abortion, because this blood is power. This blood is life. Now, in, in, from a satanic perspective, it's damnation. But in Christ's shed blood, it's eternal life, because it's the only blood that will cleanse men from sin. But they all realize that there's life and power in the blood, so that's why they are into the blood as the way, in the way that they are. And uh, people need to understand that, because Moses was giving us a portrait of Jesus that would come, his shed blood. But that's why he was conceived of the Holy Ghost, so that there would be no sin in his blood. It was pure, spotless, sinless blood. And so it was shed to redeem mankind. And so these people are trying to emulate the same thing in sacrificing to enrich their demonic power with innocent blood. The sack around the heart, the pericardium, is a water sack around the heart. And so when the soldier took the sword and pushed it into Jesus' side while he was on the cross, it said, it said forthwith came blood and water. Isaiah 53, 11, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. In other words, he poured out everything, the fluid around his heart, the shedding of blood. He poured out his soul unto death. Why? that you and I, as sinners, could be made whole. So, and, you know, and people need to understand this. I'm going to say something here that may offend some people. I loathe and I have great disdain for people who talk about the blood of Jesus being spilled. When you spill something, that is an accident. His blood was shed. There was purpose in the shedding of his blood to redeem us. And so I've heard people sing songs about his blood being spilled. No. His blood was not spilled. His blood was shed. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. It was not an accident that his blood was shed. It was on purpose because it, the purpose was to redeem us. So Isaiah 53.12, because he had poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Uh, when John talked about he was the perpetuation for our sins, that simply means he paid sin's debt with his blood. Yes. There's no greater power than the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why when we get into the sphere and realm of demonic activity, we plead the blood of Jesus. Revelation 12:11. they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and through the word of their testimony. Revelation 1, 5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. People just need to realize the power that is in the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 and 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of grace. Ephesians 2, 13, but now... Ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus. That, that blood brings us to him. And, of course, before he ever got to the cross, he was already a bloody hemorrhage. Luke said, be it in an agony, he prayed the more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling right. to the ground. So when Judas kissed his cheek, he didn't really kiss his cheek. He was already kissing the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Well, you mentioned the demonic activity, too. I mean, we can pull down strongholds, but it's amazing that, you know, when you have a very anemic church. Well, Leonard Ravenhill said an amazing statement. He said, 
How can you pull down strongholds if you don't have the strength to turn off your TV? I mean, it's stunning when it comes to these strongholds. People just don't understand their authority and they really don't understand these demonic realms, do they? No, and the authority is in Jesus' name and it's carried out by the authority of the Holy Ghost. And of course, we know that that's no longer preached in the church. Uh, people, you know, I had somebody email me a few weeks ago and said that um, I'm a purveyor of demons speaking in tongues, came from Africa. Oh. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, he, he lambasted me to no end. And I emailed him back and I said, you just sealed your doom. You, you blasphemed the Holy Ghost. Wow. And uh, because there's no forgiveness for blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, all manner of evil shall be forgiven men that they speak against me. But if you speak a word against the Holy Ghost... He said, it shall not be forgiven you in this life and in the life to come. So men don't realize what they're, how they're playing games with the Spirit of God. Jesus left the church in charge of the Word of God and the Holy Ghost. So we preach the Word, and the Holy Ghost confirmed the Word with signs following. I'm always amazed at how people have all these, these ministers, have all these great theatrics, deliverance, crippled people walking, but you never hear them preach any Bible. So what is God confirming? See, he said he would confirm the word with signs following in uh, Mark chapter 16. And so you see these guys come on television, and there's, there's absolutely no Bible preaching, none whatsoever. But there's a plethora, a deluge of miracles. So then what is God confirming? Because they haven't preached the word. If I preach a message on repentance... I'm expecting God to confirm the word with somebody getting saved. Mark 16 and 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. So God, through the Holy Ghost, works with us, confirming the word that is preached. I cannot get over some of the stuff people send me that I, I want. Like they will take a phone and record these pastors and the things that are coming out of the pulpit. I mean, David, I just cringe. And it's amazing what a bunch of anemic, spineless twits we have at the helm of these churches. Really, America? And especially Texas. I mean, that's the guy you picked to represent the largest church in Texas. You picked Howdy Doody with no spine there. I always thought Texas had a backbone, but... Judging from their pastors, I mean, that, it's shameful that these flip-flopping, fence-sitting, gutless wonders call themselves even a preacher, Pastor Langford. You know, uh, about four years ago, we had some hell damage in our house, and I had a contractor come out to price and put a new roof on. We come to an agreement uh, with the insurance company, and they came out, and I was going to try to witness to the, the contractor and I said something about Jesus. He just looked at me. He said, Preacher, don't talk to me about Jesus. And I could tell it just I struck a nerve that was unbelievable. And I said, Why? What, what's the problem? He said, I went through my wife's phone the other day, and our pastor was sending her nude pictures of himself. Oh. And I knew there was nothing I could say. It, it broke my heart because here's a man that his pastor is messing with his wife and he is just so smitten with grief and brokenness. He just said, don't talk to me about Jesus. Uh -huh. And I thought, sir, and when I say sir, I'm talking to the pastor. You are damning souls by your actions and grieving 
men's hearts like this man who he's lost all hope in God because his pastor is sleeping with his wife. That's just the most lewd, unbelievable, just such an abomination, isn't it? You don't know. You don't even know how to respond to a man when he cuts you off like that and says that to you. You know, I mean, there's nothing to say. He's he's so broken. He's so grief stricken. All you can do is just, you know, pray for him because this is the tragedy of of today's leadership, uh, the casualness uh, approach toward God. God is so holy. Revelation four and eight where the cherubim rest not day or night, crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. He is so holy. That's what the Lord showed me in that vision I had in 94. That's why there are two cherubim sitting on the end of the Ark of the Covenant. And those cherubim go before the Lord, preparing a highway of holiness. Because wherever God goes, the place is holy. So he says to Moses, and Moses didn't see this part, but he said, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. An angelic entourage went before him and made that place holy for his presence. It's just his mere voice out of the burning bush. And God showed me that's why the cherubim sit on the most holy seat there on the Ark of the Covenant, and their wings are spanned across, almost touching. And that's what they're doing. They go before him, crying and preparing a way of holiness. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. God does not enter into a room nonchalantly. There's a, the armies, the host of heaven go before him. He's a king. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. Yes. And he's a king and a judge even. And yet people always go, oh, the Lamb of God. It's uh, this little effeminate sheep petting faggy guy almost. And I, I, I don't like that image of Jesus that he would just sit down, he'd let everything go, and he would just say, you know, turn the other cheek, Pastor. Well, you know, turning the other cheek, if you really look at the scriptures, is, is people like me and you. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And you offend me. He says, leave your gift at the altar and you go and reconcile. I don't think God expects me or you to be slapped and kicked and beat around by people just that are going to kill us. Right. I, just, I, don't, I don't perceive that. Uh, the, the epistles even forbid us to take a brother to court. He said, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? You need, you need to find the smallest believer in the church and adjudicate this matter. You know, But you see, this is a misconception of who God is. Psalm 7, 11 says God is angry with the wicked every day. You know, it takes so much power of God to restrain his wrath. I mean, with what we're doing to God, you know, that this nation has put its middle finger up in the face of God and said, God, you can go to hell. We don't believe your word. We don't believe your Bible. We don't believe your true messengers. It's not what you say it is. It's the way we say it is. And so he says, okay. And he, he's abandoning this nation, allowing the walls of protection and, and we're so vulnerable, we're so subject, and we don't realize this next element of judgment. Uh, and I said this for years, if God did not judge us incrementally, we too would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. But the grace of God compels him, constrains him to incrementally judge us. But I, I have fear, not of the devil or anything like that, but I have the fear of God of what's going to happen this next go-round because of redefining marriage and these judicial, vile, wicked people think they can do this 
about an institution that God ordained. I mean, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 tells us he made them male and female and said for a man to leave his mother and his father and cleave to his wife and they shall no more be twain but be one flesh. Well, this has been going on for 6,000 years. And five apostates, five reprobates adjudicate no law. There was no law. The legislation in the Congress and the House and being sent to the president to be signed and enacted as law, there was none of that. It's just five Supreme Court justices said, we're going to redefine marriage. There was no adjudication in a, a piece of law. You know, let's, let's see if this is the right interpretation of the law. There was nothing to adjudicate. This is the danger. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel understood why the judgment of God and its fierceness was because of their judges. Daniel 9 and 12 says, And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us, the Mosaic law, Deuteronomy 28, and against our judges that judged us, by bringing upon us a great evil, for under the whole heaven hath not been done, as hath been done upon Jerusalem. So Daniel and the seizure of Jerusalem through Nebuchadnezzar, he blamed it, he said, which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us. Right. He said, this is why this evil has come upon us, because of our judges. Now, isn't it, isn't it ironic? In 2001, we had the Twin Tower buildings. There was no judges involved. The second event, 2008, the, the financial world almost collapsed. No judges involved. Now let's see what happens in September of 2015 that we have judges involved. Moses gave the prophecies in Deuteronomy 28 about the blessings and cursings, and Daniel says the words of God have come upon us because of our judges. So Daniel placed the blame on the judges. So what our judges have done to us, they've accelerated God's judgment against us. I was absolutely stone-cold stunned when I saw those six colors there flashing on the White House, I thought, wow, the jihadist in chief has the audacity to turn on those colored lights supporting the sodomite agenda. And you know what came through my head, Pastor Langford? I said, take God's symbol from the last time he destroyed the earth and wave it around as the symbol of your sin. Yeah, that's a great idea. People have no reverence. They have no fear of God, do they? Let me tell you what the president done, because I'm here in North Carolina. He went down to Charleston. He eulogized the black pastor, Reverend Pinckney. He broke out singing Amazing Grace on Friday afternoon after he eulogizes the pastor. And then on Saturday night, he puts the sodomite colors on the White House. You're talking about an apostate who's singing Amazing Grace on Friday and glorifying sodomy on Saturday. Sickening. Now, this, this is where I, we've come to. And people wonder why Isaiah 5 and 20 said they would call evil good and good evil. Bitter, sweet, sweet, bitter. Dark for light, light for dark. This is where we have come to. And I wrote my newsletter for September a month or two ago because I felt led to go ahead and write it. Because what we're getting ready to soon witness in this nation is civil disobedience. Now, what these idiots and the White House, the Senate, the Congress don't understand is lawlessness breeds lawlessness you reap what you sow 
We've had eight years of lawlessness sown in this nation, and they're getting ready to reap an uprising of lawlessness among the people. If they don't think the people are going to rise up in rebellion, they've got another thought coming because, you see, God says every man, I don't care if you're the president or a janitor, you're going to reap what you sow. That's why Galatians 6 and 7, God said, be not deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. This leadership in our nation has sown to the flesh. You can't get any more carnal than sodomy. You can't get any more debauched and debased than sodomy. So what are we going to reap? A farmer puts one kernel of corn in the ground. It will come up as a stalk of corn. It will have three or four ears of corn with hundreds of grains or kernels on each cob from, what, from one grain of corn, one kernel planted. This is the law of reciprocity. We reap what we sow, and you always reap more than what you sowed. One kernel of corn in the ground will get three or four cobs of corn on that stalk with hundreds of kernels on each cob. Now think about that. The multiplication of that, one in the ground, and how many hundreds, if not thousands, when you accumulate all the kernels on all the cobs on one stalk of corn. Yes, we certainly do reap what we sow, and then some. You know, and I was thinking about, I don't know if you saw this clip with Donald Trump. In fact, if people are to do an internet search, just type Trump believes in God but hasn't sought forgiveness. Donald Trump was talking about his Christian faith Saturday, but said he's never sought forgiveness for his sins. Hmm, gee, like that's not a part of redemption. I just thought, how ridiculous. Yeah, you know what? In all reality, Sheila, I feel sorry for him. He's touched a vein of the anger and the rebellion of the people, and he's 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 a he's a he's a wandering star. He's a he's yeah. a, he has no ground, and he lauds you know Norman Vincent Peale, uh, positive thinking, and and he does he he's lost, but he's tapped into a vein of the anger and the rebellion of the people, and that's why his numbers. You see, what that shows me is this nation is on the precipice of total disaster. It is so volatile, and these, these and I'm going to say this, these idiots, I have no respect for any of them up there. I hate to be that crass and that blunt, but they do not realize what they are doing. We are at 211 degrees Fahrenheit. One more degree, and we boil. We are at 211 as a nation and about to hit 212. Because these men have sown this, they're going to reap it. Now, they don't think they will, but that's where they're deceived. That's why Paul said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. We're mocking God, and they don't get it. And God have mercy on the righteous in the midst of judgment. And that's why everyone that says they are a Christian, you better start walking the wall and talking the talk. Don't say you're a Christian today and get mad tomorrow and use four-letter words and take God's name in vain. You better not say you're a Christian and then out here fornicating and committing adultery. You're playing and toying with God Almighty. You better stop it.
Amen. Well, people say they are Christians. They throw that around a lot in name only. But a lot of people say, well, you know, and I hear this so much. Hey, who are you to judge? My relationship with God is my relationship. That's between me and God. You got to love that one. Oh, yeah. That's that's the uh, catchphrase. You know, this between me and God. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And that's why if you're not abiding by the word of God, you're going to end up dying and going to hell. God put a little something in my spirit last week. Three things we must do for spiritual preservation. We must obey God's word. We must honor God's word. And we must abide in God's word. You see, in 1 Samuel 2 and 30, he said, I will honor those that honor me. 1 Samuel 15, 23 said, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. For to obey is better than sacrifice. And then in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. So we've got to honor God and his word. We've got to obey his word and we've got to abide in his word. And so when you see somebody out here fornicating and they say, well, uh, it's between me and God. Well, there was no more sinful deeds and purveyors of sin than the church at Corinth. I mean, the church, Paul said some of the fornication that's going on here in 1 Corinthians 5, it's not even common among the Gentiles. I mean, you guys are so messed up, it's unbelievable. But he says in uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, he said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Here again, be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, and that is sodomy and effeminate. Both those phrases are, are homosexuality, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortion shall inherit the kingdom of God. So he, he begins by saying, be not deceived. He gives a litany of sin and sinful deeds and says, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So that is the cop out to say that's between me and God. <laughs> You're exactly right. And when you stand before God, and God says you are an adulterer, an extortioner, effeminate, or abuser, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I know you not. And he'll say, depart from me. And here's what he's going to tell them. He's going to say, oh, yeah, we had a relationship, but it was on your terms. But a true relationship with me is on my terms. Because what you bring to me in covenant is your sin. What I bring to you in, in the covenant is redemption. Now, Abraham did not make covenant with God. God made covenant with Abraham. When Gabriel says to Mary, thou art highly favored, thou art blessed among women, God brought her into a divine relationship with him on his terms. See, she had nothing to do with it. The annunciation was you are highly blessed among women. You don't realize how blessed you are that God has chosen you to carry the Messiah which, in other words, you have nothing to do with this, Mary. God has brought you in. Abraham, let me tell you, pal, you bring nothing to the table. I bring it all. But yet God is willing to bring us into covenant with him. So people, all they can bring to the table is wickedness, sin, bitterness, unforgiveness. But God says, I'll still put you in covenant with me, but my blood will take all that away. And though your sins be as crimson, they'll be white as snow. Mm, that's good. Well, the false doctrine of this unlimited grace has become a real core principle behind the modern seeker-friendly church, and as a result has caused untold amounts of damage within the church body and in the lives of Christians all over. And this doctrine is so thoroughly 
it's really corrupted the way people think and it's really sad i mean think back to the last conversation you had with any fellow christian believer about some controversial issue like the same-sex marriage abortion almost inevitably one of those people in the discussion says something akin to well we must love the sinner hate the sin or god calls us to love everybody and it isn't our place to judge i mean is that not nauseating it's sickening you know, and here's what they forget. I had a minister the other day. We got into a discussion. He said, thank you for opening my eyes. I said, why? He said, well, you pointed things out I've never seen before. Because Paul identified Hymenaeus and Philetus, said the resurrection is already passed. They're overthrowing the faith of people. The beloved John of all men in John, 3 John, he says, Diotrephes, he withstood our words. He loved to have primates among the people. Paul identified Alexander the coppersmith. He said he did me much evil. Paul said Jans and Jambres withstood Moses. I mean, these epistles identify men who are antagonistic toward God and his word and the disciples. Yeah. So they didn't have a problem identifying people. So why should I have a problem identifying when people are preaching heresy? I don't identify them in the sense of to bash them, but I, people say, well, what is the, the error in it, and who's preaching it? So you tell them. Paul said in Romans 16, identify them or mark them that cause divisions among you and teach you doctrines contrary to the way that you've been taught. See, there's the right, we're all to be taught the right way. But then there are those who come in covertly, you see, stealthily, and they corrupt and they pervert and they twist and distort, and they start teaching heresy among us. Well, you have to get the cancer out. See, even Paul there in 1 Corinthians 5, he said in uh, verse 11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such as a one, know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do ye not judge them that are within? Now, this is the word of God. That's 1 Corinthians 5.11. But them that are without, God judgeth. So you judge within the body. Then verse 13 says, Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So I'm so sick and tired, and excuse me for getting a little piped up here, but I'm sick and tired of these novices that call themselves preachers who know nothing about the Word of God. They don't know how to interpret the Word of God. They don't know how to adjudicate the Word of God. But Paul said, you judge those people in the church, and don't you even as much eat with them. Don't even have dinner with them. Because you see, Galatians 5 and 9 says, a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. You better get the sin out of the church. If you don't, the whole church will be sinful. People don't understand the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's for everybody. That's for all creation and every creature in the earth. But the epistles, the Pauline epistles, Peter's epistles, Jude, James, these are letters to the church and how to deal with sin and issues that are in the church. And so in 1 Corinthians 5, they got this spirit of fornication. Paul said it's not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And most people believe it was the son sleeping with his stepmother. That they want to try to lighten it up. It could have been, you know, uh, his own mother. You know, we, we're not sure there. 
And some want to push it off and say, well, it was his stepmother. Well, I don't know if it's his stepmother or his real mother, uh, but I know it was sin. And Paul says, you, you've got to uh, deal with this. In verse 3, he says, for, for verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already. Paul says, I've judged this matter already, as though I were present. Get the sucker out of the church. God knows the hearts of men. The human heart is so wicked. Even Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only God. The next verse says, I try the reins of the heart. Verse 10, 17, Jeremiah 17, 10. God is the one that searches the heart. But see, Paul, an apostle, he said, I've judged this. Though I'm not there, I've judged this in spirit. My spirit has been warned and checked by the Holy Ghost this is evil, and if you don't get the sin out of the church, and this is where we are, we've become pacifists. Now, I believe in forgiveness. I believe in second, third, fourth, fifth chances. But there comes a point in time when people don't care to live right. They just are determined to go their way, and that's why Paul said in First Timothy, or Second Timothy 4 and 9, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. He identified a man of God that became indifferent and went back to Thessalonica because there was something there that attracted him and lured him back away from the Lord God of Abraham, and he said, even demons have now forsaken me. There's another man that Paul identified. He actually talks about being justified by faith, and he goes on there. It's funny that God says there is no peace for the wicked. You know, we talked about the human heart being wicked and sinful. Man cannot have peace without God, and they need to know the peace of God. You cannot have peace with man until you have peace with God. I mean, the heart, again, is desperately wicked. People just don't get some of this, but then they don't read their Bible either, do they? Well, no, that's why we have such, you know, uh, Joyce Myers, Joy Oster, all, all these people are novices. You see, because somebody makes a statement, and it sounds as a profundity, it sounds profound, don't they know that the devil has the ability to make such statements that Paul or James said is earthly, sensual, devilish? It's not from above, but it's from beneath. In other words, don't think the devil is not shrewd. He's called a serpent for a reason, because Jesus said, be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. In uh, James 3.15, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthy, sensual, and devilish. It can appear to be true wisdom, but look through it in the eyes of the Lord and through the Holy Ghost, and if you look real close, you might realize that sounds good. Proverbs 14, 12 said, There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Well, they say that sounds good. Well, hey, there's a lot of things that I've heard that sounded good. But when you get down and put the acid test of the Word of God, it don't stand the acid test. See? And so James, of course, one of the, one of the believe, most people believe he was, would be considered the first general overseer of the early church, wrote this book, and he talks about this devilish, sensual, earthly wisdom. It's not of God, because Jesus says, be wise as a serpent, and a serpent is cunning, he's crafty, but he's also deadly, but be harmless as a dove, because a dove don't kill, steal, and destroy. That's not the nature. A dove is clean. A dove typifies the Holy Ghost purity. 
And when the dove left the ark the last time and didn't come back, it went and rested somewhere, which means the Holy Spirit should come and rest on us. The Holy Spirit is looking for a place of residence, just like the demoniac in uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. He, the demons cast out, he brings seven more with him. So now his latter end is worse than his beginning. Eight means new beginnings. So now there's eight demons. So the Holy Spirit is looking for a place to light, a place to land. And he wants to land on us and in us, just like he lighted upon Jesus Christ in the river of Jordan, which typifies the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is looking for a place to find residence, just like a demon is looking for a place of residence. He wants to abide and reside in us. So when he does take his place of residence, and we do something wrong, he then convicts us and says, Sheila, you can't say that. Sheila, you can't do that. You can't go there. Because he has taken residence. Now, just like Samson, he wished not that God had left him. See, his anointing was the Holy Ghost that gave him this great physical power. He kept on and kept on until he lost it, which typifies the Spirit left him. He got up as all the other times, and guess what? He didn't know God was gone. He lost his power. And so the church is having a form of godliness, and they've denied the power of God because the Holy Ghost will not light or find a place of residence in this sinful place. It really is sinful because speaking of God leaving, it almost seems like God has just left the West. I mean, people have turned their back on God. God really is about to judge this nation profusely, isn't he? You know, I look at it like this. Put your thumb between a three-pound sledgehammer and a 60-pound anvil and see what happens to your thumb. That's Ouch. about what's getting ready to happen to this nation. I really perceive that and it's going to be protracted. It's going to be drawn out. It's going to be tough because I was reading in Lamentations two weeks ago, Lamentations 4 and 6, for the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom that was overthrown as in a moment, and no hands stayed on her. Sodom and Gomorrah was sudden and total destruction. The next morning, Abraham looked across the plain. He said it looked like a billowing furnace. It was over with. They were all dead, burnt to a crisp. Jeremiah says this has been a protracted famine, sword, death. We've emaciated. we pined away. He said because theirs was sudden, ours has been drawn out. And... This, regretfully, is what God is going to do, is going to draw out the judgment. You see, the, the, the measure of judgment is according to the sin, see? And so look how sinful we've become. So is God going to give us a little pat on the, the, the behind and say, no, you know, don't do that again? Not this time. Right. No, he's not, he's not going to do that. He can't. He can't because we see what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. And here's Jeremiah. People say, well, that, that never really happened. Jeremiah obviously has a record of it because he alludes to it and says it happened suddenly. So he understood the writings of Moses in the book of Genesis when he talks about theirs was sudden. This has been a protracted judgment on us. I don't want that. I've got four children. I've got a granddaughter. I've got nieces. I've got nephews. I don't want this. But I have to be realistic. This is the result of that little three-letter word called sin. Every broken home, every broken marriage, every broken person, their lives, whatever it might be, uh, drunk, car wreck, amputation, killing somebody, murder, 
All this is because of sin, and we're becoming more and more sinful. And so, you know, God said, I won't destroy the earth again by water. So he put a rainbow in the sky. And then the Sodomites captured it, said, we're going to use that, and we're going to extol sodomy from the very blessing that God gave man in covenant, saying, I'll never destroy the earth again by water. So we know how it will be destroyed the next time, by fire. It would not shock me if there are several cities that go up in flame through, through whether it be a, a nuclear strike, ISIS have chemicals, weapons, whatever, and, and bring them into the border. God is not going to tolerate this. And then in Jeremiah 44, there are people leaving the country. I get this all the time. You get it too, <laughs> about leaving the country. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Well, if you'll go back and read the 44th chapter of the book of Jeremiah, he warned them. He told them, don't you think, let me just read, let me go over and read it. Jeremiah 44, verse 12. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you for evil and to cut off all Judah. And I will take the remnant of Judah that have set their faces to go into the land of Egypt to sojourn there, and they shall all be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. They shall even be consumed by the sword and by the famine. They shall die from the least even unto the greatest by the sword and by the famine. And they shall be an execration and an astonishment and a curse and a reproach. For I will punish them that dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. So people say, you know, I'm going to Belize. I'm going to Costa Rica. No, you better go to Jesus because he's your refuge. Amen. Well, we see this coming. We're going to go back down to Egypt. And Egypt's always typified the world, looking for a way of escape. God said, you're not getting away from it. I'm God. I'm going to send famine down there. I'm going to send swords down there. I'm, I'm going to send fires down there. So who thinks God can't all of a sudden cause an earthquake uh, to take Belize under or Costa Rica? Who is your refuge? Yourself? and your wherewithal and your means? Or is God your refuge? I had a, a, a brother right today. They're the caregivers for their elderly parents. He said, what are we going to do? I wrote him back. I said, God's your refuge. Listen, folks, either God is going to save you or not. It's just that simple. I believe some of us will die a martyrdom. Some of us will be delivered. I believe that because of the closing verses in Hebrews chapter 11. He quenched the fire for some. That was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He shut the mouths of lions for some. We know that had to be Daniel in the den of lions. And then it says there were those. There were others who had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. History says Isaiah was cut in two with a timber saw. Some were tempted, some were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves and in the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having foreseen or provided something better for us, that they which without us should not be made perfect. In other words, I believe God will make the decision for every Christian of their destiny. Jesus told Peter and John in those closing chapters, Peter, you're going to come to a place in your life 
when you're going to not be able to gird yourself. Another will gird thee and take you where you really don't want to go. He was prophesying his death. Peter said, you know, what about this guy? He said, if I want him to be alive when I come back, what's that to you, Peter? To whom much is given, much is required. So in Acts chapter 12, when Peter is in prison, the angel comes in, and it says he smote him, and the Greek says he struck him with something less than a violent blow and said, wake up, pal, and gird thyself. We're getting out of here. So the angel even knew the prophecy because he told Peter, gird yourself. But Jesus told Peter the time will come when you're going to have to go somewhere and you're not going to gird yourself. Another will gird thee. In other words, they're going to take you to your death. And history, I did a, I did a very thorough uh, research years ago on Peter's life. History records they brought Peter's wife by his prison window to torture him mentally, emotionally, and bring great anxiety into his life. But history says he, he spoke through the window cell, and he said, only remember thou the Lord. He didn't say, remember me, honey. Remember the kids. He said, only remember thou the Lord. Now, here's a man early on cursing and swearing, I don't know Jesus. And now he says, just keep your eyes and keep your mind on Jesus. And history says he was so bold. He said, don't crucify me like my Lord. Hang me upside down. I'm not worthy to be crucified. Now look at the boldness of this man of God. For those who die a heinous or hideous death, I believe the boldness of God will come upon them, and it, it won't matter. It would be like Stephen. He said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne of God. Lay not this sin to their charge. Why? I believe the Holy Ghost was all over him to that degree. He didn't feel a thing. He didn't feel a thing. All but one. It was John the Revelator. Right. All of the rest of them died. They died horrible deaths. But remember what Paul said in Philippians 2.11, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Once they received the Holy Ghost, they all understood. This, this is so temporal. You know, I'm 60 years old now. I realize the, the, the brevity of life. It is so short. It is so, so short. And Paul, you know, he said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To be absent in the bodies, to be in the presence of the Lord. So, you know, we can't get enamored and live in fear with these things. We've got to keep our focus on Jesus. And Stephen, he said, I see Jesus. The only man that we know got a standing ovation. He said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Don't get your eyes off of Jesus, because, you know, with all this insanity clamoring for our attention, Pastor, it is really important now more than ever. I guess it's convenient that so many people think they're they're out of here because, of course, the good old pre-trib rapture. And, folks, for all the new listeners, if you have not got Pastor David Langford's book, Second Coming, A Second Look, I've got it linked there in today's bio. That is a must-read let me tell you, after you read that book, it is, it, it's settled. <laughs> Pastor Langford, in the waning moments, if you wouldn't mind, please do say a prayer for the people tuned in tonight. Father, we humbly come before the throne of grace. I know without any doubt in my heart, my mind, and my spirit, you are the answer for every man, woman, boy, and girl that's listening to this broadcast. Father, I know there's much perplexity within the earth because you prophesied upon the earth the stress of nations with perplexity. But, Father God, you're able to give peace that passeth all understanding to every heart 
to every mind and to every individual. Thus Peter admonished us, casting every care upon you, for you care for us, Lord, and I know in my spirit that no one cares for us like you do. And Father, I pray that you'll touch the people's faith. As the man said to Jesus, Lord, help my unbelief, help my unbelief. And the way our unbelief is helped is by hiding your word in our hearts. Your word builds our faith. Paul said, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And I pray that you will touch homes, families, and marriages. I pray for the sons and the daughters who are lost and those who are backslidden away from you, Lord. Bring our children home. You told the jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy household. Lord, we are saved. We are redeemed. Thus, we're believing for our children to come in by the grace of God. Father, whatever it takes to bring them in, we ask you to do it because eternity is forever. I thank you for Sheila tonight. I thank you for her stance, for her convictions and her boldness to stand and also bring forth an uncompromising message from your word. Bless her, keep her, honor her, Lord, as she honors you, and bless the listening audience to stand with her, to help her, to support her, and to help her to continue to do what you have called her to do. And we ask it humbly. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Pastor Langford, give the listeners your information, especially the new ones, on how they can tune into. And I know you've got some exciting things on the horizon that you're going to be doing a broadcast. Are there any updates on that? Well, we're trying to get everything together. We're already in the process of starting to shoot some video and put those up on our YouTube channel. We're going to start downloading all the audio. There's going to be a logo put on our website where they can go directly the, you got to put the word the there, thevoiceofevangelism.com. Everything that they need to hear, the newsletters, those of you who are into the electronics and all the media, we post the newsletters there. Those who are like me who get mail, we still mail the newsletter out monthly because we don't want to abandon the people like myself who are older and uh, are not acclimated to technology. God said, do not leave anybody behind. God doesn't leave anybody behind. He wants everybody to be ministered to. So we try to do what we can. If they just go to the website, they can find out all the information about us. And I encourage people to get that book, The Second Coming, A Second Look, because the last chapter deals with the resurrection, and you never hear prophecy preachers say anything about the resurrection, and there are only two. John 5, 28, 29, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, into which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. They that have done good under the resurrection of life, they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. Thus, the pre-tribulation rapture teaches multiple resurrections, and Jesus didn't teach but two. Pastor Langford, I thank you so much for your time in coming on the broadcast tonight, and I highly encourage those that email me all the time saying they don't have a pastor to adopt you, Pastor Langford, as their pastor and so into an incredible ministry, The Voice of Evangelism. And you can find that there at thevoiceofevangelism.com. Pastor Langford, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the program this evening. Thank you, and God bless you. And I pray, pray all of your listeners be blessed immensely as well, Sheila. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Folks, that was the amazing Pastor David Langford from thevoiceofevangelism.com and any of your friends out there that are convinced on the pre-trib rapture do get his book 
the second coming, a second look, give it out to other people. And I'm really excited that Pastor Langford soon is working on a project where he will be having a Sunday service live stream. I'm so excited about that. And he will be giving us some updates on when that will start. So that's very exciting news. I'm really, really excited to promote that. And don't forget how to win a personal signed copy of my book. We have a great show next week, folks. So I'll see you Monday. Good night and God bless.